Before discussing Custer's youth, I would like to address a matter that has not, it seems to me, been significantly factored into the narrative of Western settlement, and that is the confusion of tongues that prevailed in the West during the whole period of settlement. What's clear is that there was, from the first, a serious shortage of really competent translators. The well-known example of Crazy Horse is a good example of how things can go if the translator is not up to snuff. Crazy Horse surrendered on May 6, 1877, a surrender that drew lavish coverage from the Eastern press. Sometime after the surrender, the army learned that it had a problem with the fleeing Nez Perce, an Idaho tribe, which was on its way to Canada, killing most everyone who strayed into its path. The army didn't like Crazy Horse. General George Crook was planning to ship him to the prison for incorrigibles in Florida. But somebody decided he might be useful against the Nez Perce. So, having just taken his rifle, they offered it back to him, if he would use it to fight the Nez Perce. Crazy Horse knew little about the Nez, but allowed as how he would happily go kill them all. The main translator that day was a sometime friend of Crazy Horse named Frank Gruard, a scout of part Polynesian descent. Gruard had Crazy Horse saying he would go kill all the white people if they wanted him to. This set the army against him, of course, and his own people were already against him. He had become too famous. Soon after this odd business, he was bayoneted by a soldier at Fort Robinson, Nebraska, while Little Big Man, another former friend, held his arms. He would have been killed by his own people had the soldier not gotten there first. The Indians were, and are, very jealous of their own. Success in the white world doesn't carry well. The mistranslation of Crazy Horse's statement is not only famous, it's typical. At powwow after powwow, the two sides came away believing something different. This occurred at the first big Western Peace Conference at Laramie in 1851, and had occurred even earlier at a powwow with Comanches in Kiowa. George Catlin painted many of the Comanches at this council, and his paintings probably provide the most accurate record of that gathering of peoples. The reasons for the sloppy translations are many. For one thing, the native languages are rather hard. They don't easily fit into the white man's conceptual world, and the translators were often fringe people—scouts, squaw men, trappers, half-breeds, soldiers. Exact agreement was almost impossible. The writer Alex Shumatov says the United States has broken around 350 treaties with the Indians. All we made, in fact. None achieved linguistic perfection, though it got better once Carlisle Indian School linguists began to serve as translators. For much of the settlement period, the most effective speech was not speech at all. It was sign. Most frontiersmen were fluent in sign, and many more had at least a tentative grasp of it. A famous example of it exists in the often quoted remarks of the Crow Scout, Half Yellow Face, 
made to Custer just before the end. All the scouts, without exception, warned Custer that he would die if he rode down into the valley of the Little Bighorn. But the most poetic warning came from Half Yellow Face, who remarked that, Today we will all go home by a road we do not know. At least he was quoted as having said that. But what language did he make this famous statement in? He spoke no English, and Custer spoke no Crow. Elizabeth Libby Custer claimed that Custer spoke fluent Cheyenne, but no one who fought with him agreed or had ever heard his Cheyenne. Could Half Yellow Face have conveyed this metaphor in sign? In any case, much trouble resulted from this confusion of tongues.